Welcome to Notice History, the podcast where we uncover the history all around us. As always, we're your hosts, Keely McCavitt, Nick Bridges, and Robin Mullins. And this week we're doing a special interview with one of our fellow associates, Danny Guy Belanger. Welcome to the podcast, Danny. Hello. Thank you for coming and speaking with us today. If you could just introduce yourself a little bit and talk about your research focus, which is super interesting, that would be great. Yeah, so uh, I'm Denis Guy-Belanger, as, uh, as you said. Yeah, so I have a master's from, uh, from Carlton Public History, and my research was on uh, the preservation of video games and kind of how we think about video games um, in terms of preservation as cultural heritage artifacts. Um, and I'm also uh, the uh, Francophone member at large of the Canadian Game Studies Association. Well, then I think it would be pretty fitting then, before we get into it too deep, for us to go around and say what our favorite historical video games are. Um, I don't play video games, but I love watching other people play Red Dead Redemption 2. And I wrap myself in a blanket, and I just watch the pseudo-historical story unfold. Oh, you watch people be cowboys. Mm -hmm. I play that. That's fun. Mm -hmm. I like another game with the name Red in the title. Mm -hmm. Red Orchestra 2, a shooter game featured on the Eastern Front of World War II. What about you, Robin? I'm going to be really controversial here and say that I don't play video games. I, I also, I, it's true, I don't. But I do play one computer game. It's called Age of Empires. You get to move through all the different ages, the Stone Age. Well, you end up in the Stone Age. Anyway, the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, all these different ages. It's great. Robin, the people know Age of Empires, too. <laughs> I mean, do they? They do. You can get it on Steam, and it's often on sale. It's like so. two bucks. They also read it in an HD version. And you do any? Um, it's actually not a historical video games. I don't play a lot of historical video games, to be honest. Um, I think my, probably my favorite video game would be Dark Souls 1. I actually finished the remastered version last night. Congratulations. Uh, Congratulations. Congratulations. Wow. But yeah, no, uh, I, I guess you could say it's historical in a way because it's, I mean, it's a fantasy setting, but it's, uh, kind of medieval and just, uh, the Soulsborne series kind of takes place in historical settings. Bloodborne takes place in kind of like, 18th century type of era so yeah in a way it's an it's an interesting kind of historical way plus the way the stories um kind of told is through items and through characters who have these weirdly insane ramblings at times so it becomes kind of like you're doing history in a way so it's interesting in that way it's almost like you're studying uh studying history within a game yeah pretty much yeah so what drew you to the subject danny so, funny story, when I first kind of started thinking about if I wanted to do a master's, I had no idea what I was going to do, and I was mostly focusing on thinking about how could I find an interesting subject in American foreign policy, that's kind of was my area of focus, and I was like, how can I combine two different things that really I'm passionate about and I really want to do? And I thought, American foreign policy, video games, this just works perfectly. Um, and so that's kind of what I, what I went in with. Uh, it, it changed a lot while I was doing my master's because I ended up doing an internship at the Canada Science and Tech Museum. And there I worked on their software collection and just kind of going through it and trying to do a for first assessment. And then also writing a uh, document on software preservation more generally. And that kind of took a spin in that that's what I used to continue my master's, and it became my area of research. 
So there are lots of video games that are related to history, contemporary and older history. But do you find, Danny, that there is a lot of writing about the history of video games themselves? Or are there a lot of resources for that? So that's something that's kind of interesting because there's a whole subgenre of video games, which is historical video games, like Call of Duty, all that stuff. Though. Those are, and we mentioned um, Age of Empires. It's a very... So historical. <laughs> Guys. It's completely accurate. accurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, those priests converting elephants, like, definitely. It happens, awesome. like, every day. Uh, but yeah, so historical video games are a whole subgenre of video games. There's actually quite a lot uh, on history in games. Um, so there's there's a couple of, uh, of historians doing that work, especially through other disciplines, though. Like, they're not usually in history departments. But on the history of games themselves, there's not so much by historians. It's it's changing. It's it's moving on, and I feel like there's, there's, a, there's a drive, especially since I'd say, I mean, it's, it's hard to say but like in 2016 uh, Henry Lowen and Rifford Goins uh, released this if you will it's a critical lexicon actually that's called a debugging game history a critical lexicon uh, <laughs> and they're kind of trying to kickstart a more critical analysis of video games because typically it was journalists or fans or uh, the industry that would kind of spearheaded the history of video games so it was problematic in some ways very interesting in others and of course they say that history of video games is a very interdisciplinary subject so and how do ethics go into making video games or video games about historical events or people so for some games assassin's creed they actually have an historian or a team of historians who are actually going through and doing the research now what they do with that research that's another thing Uh, in terms of Mm -hmm. um the visuals they're absolutely mind-blowing they're very 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 good in terms of how like the social history that's another story it's not necessarily completely bad or wrong sometimes they do some things that are great sometimes it's not that great it really really depends and it's also kind of the realm of historical fiction in many ways uh games like wolfenstein for instance it talks about um concentration camps and death camps and stuff like that and so they do a fairly good job even though it's kind of traumatic in many ways and kind of problematic but yeah so so some companies will do some research, others I don't know. It really varies from company to company or from designer to designer. It, it's really hard to say. Some of them do amazing jobs, some of them do okay, and some of are just absolutely terrible. They're just using history as a setting and that's pretty much it and do whatever they want with it. So. so I guess it's almost like a new media if you think about it, like historical fiction. Like It's a new media for some people to just write the stories they want. Is that it? Kind of, yeah. I guess... I guess it's if you think of historical fiction, like I spoke, movies, etc. Like video games are just a new expression of that for sure. Uh, a more complex uh, one, I would say, in some ways, uh, but they're not entirely different. Like you can use what's been done in other uh, media to be able to understand what happens in historical video games, but you can't then say that like, oh well, historical fiction is that way. Therefore, historical video games are exactly the same thing. Uh, that's a there, there are differences, very important differences. Focusing on the American foreign policy side of your research that kind of led you to this point, are there any video games in particular that you feel do a really good job of showing an accurate picture of American foreign policy? Or do you feel it's more so using American foreign policy and its social acceptability to be a vehicle for games? So so that aspect of my research just kind of took the wayside entirely. Um, mm. So I... I could give an educated guess, but so, so for what I've seen there, I mean, there is a lot of overlap between uh, either military contractors or just the Pentagon, quite literally, and games that do talk about American foreign policy. Uh, not all of them. There's a couple, um, there's a couple games that do actually kind of do a fairly good job at somewhat critiquing some of the aspects of it. I think 
Back Ops The Line, I think, is one of those. But I might be misremembering the name. So uh, honestly, I'm not, I'm not so, so sure. But typically, I would say that it falls into a very kind of common interpretation of what, you see, what you'd see in movies of kind of rah-rah, um, we're going to war and mm-hmm. we're, you know, doing the right thing and just killing the bad guys type of thing. But it, to say that it's all of that, that's not true, especially in the kind of independent and kind of counterculture games. In, in the AAA industry, the big games, yeah, sure. But you can't say that whole scale. But the most popular ones, yeah, definitely. Mm. So, so you're telling me that no one has made a Henry Kissinger simulation yet? <laughs> Sadly, no. Uh, Sounds I mean, like an opportunity for you, Nick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Daniel, let's uh, let's get in business here. <laughs> but, but there is there is a game where you can play this uh, GFK shooter and recreate that, and wow. it's kind of interesting in weird ways. It's problematic in, in, in many ways. In analytical ways, it seems like a, uh, a good opportunity. To write some papers. Oh, yeah. 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 There, there's some written on it. It's very, yeah. very interesting. Especially some of the kind of literature on the violence in video games, which is problematic in many ways. Both kind of like, oh, no, there's no violence. Uh, or it doesn't lead to any violence. Or absolutely at least a violence. It's a lot more complicated than that. And I mean, that's a total other uh, discussion. But Well, if we can drift away from video games more generally and more into your current research, can you tell us a bit more about some of the projects you have going on? Like your podcast on deadplay.net? Yeah, so so Deadplay is the result of my master's, pretty much. Uh, it's been on kind of hiatus ever since, because life and work, yeah. <laughs> things that are real. So yeah, basically, when I got into that project, I was thinking, A, I'm doing public history, so I need to do something that's public. Also, what's kind of happening with video games, there's a lot of podcasts talking about it. It is something that's just public, and I needed to do something that uh, represented the medium, too. So I figured mm-hmm. podcasting would be kind of the, the right medium for that. I would like to keep on going if I can, maybe make it a bit personal. I have a bit, a couple of ideas that I might kind of bring in and try to do, but right now that's pretty much where it is. But it investigates pretty much just the preservation of video games and kind of tries to create a methodology into how do we think about video games to be able to preserve them as cultural heritage artifacts. When I first uh, was an intern at Science and Tech, I had to go through a lot of game studies literature and reading up on video game history more generally to give me a background to be able to do this work. And so the more I was thinking about it and seeing this and also seeing how they've uh, made their Game Changers exhibit, which is a traveling exhibit going on around, I think it is it in Poland right now? I, I'm not sure. But just kind of how they were thinking about video games and especially how they were thinking about video games in a Canadian context. And one of the things they had to kind of fight against was this idea that like Canadian video game history like is that a thing can we really talk about a Canadian video game history when you're talking about a medium which is typically more transnational and international and portrays itself as a global phenomenon which is also kind of interesting and problematic in many ways so that's kind of where I was that idea kind of started but then after I graduated When I graduated, I did a little contract for the Canadian Museum of History. And during that contract, I pretty much had to do that, just the history of video games in Canada. And I was a bit unsatisfied with how it ended up being, just because it was a limited amount of time I had. It was a short contract. I did what I could. But I was still kind of digging through that history. And that made me think a lot about that subject and being kind of a bit disappointed with where it could have been type of thing if I had a lot more time. Then I, I figured that I'd kind of keep going and, and dive that, I'd dive into that a bit more and just try to, to push that a bit more because there hasn't been that much on that subject particularly. There's a master's thesis 
on it, but it's kind of more of a industry focused type of thing. And I'm a lot more interested in gaming culture in terms of like just a social aspect of video games, like the social mm-hmm. history of video games, of gamers or game players um, themselves and how they interact rather than um, just how they're developed, why they're developed type of thing and just kind of talking about like you know ubisoft or ea which is in vancouver and all that stuff i'm not that interested by that i mean it's important and i want to talk about it but i feel there's a over focus on the industry in a lot of aspects um so i kind of i'm trying to go against that so can you tell us a bit about what you've discovered or studied about the social aspects of gaming you can but can't talk about the canadian video game history in the sense that there are some things that happen in Canada that, yes, definitely you could say, okay, yeah, this is Canadian. There are small producers, for instance, especially in the Maritimes, actually, uh, independent producers, uh, game producers who bring in, like, talk about their community and stuff like that. But at the same time, can you actually say that it's Canadian except for the fact that it's made in Canada in terms of its geographical confines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that if your definition of Canadian is that, sure. But then is it Canadian identity? I guess like the 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 end conclusion is I don't really know and what is Canadianness like I pretty much say that it needs more research. But I think that that really does apply more generally just to us as a country. Like what what is Canadianness? We so often define ourselves by what we aren't. I think maybe if you find an, an answer to that question, you might have like struck gold and answered <laughs> the big all time question. We'll become rich. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you see as the greatest challenges moving forward with this research, Danny? About, like, your, your own research. My own research? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, I mean, first, one of them was literally just defining what games are. It's, it's Even that is kind of complicated. And that's a huge part of my master's thesis. Uh, like, like, how do we think about games? And that's the whole thing about kind of my research is thinking about what is a video game even. So for me, a video game was very large. Um, you had both the game itself, but it could be development material. It might be fan fictions. And might be like the weird sonic erotica you can find online. The intro to my podcast is actually the intro from a song of a Nintendo Core Nintendo Core band that had uh, some songs and it were like this free band, uh, this band that wasn't signed pretty much. And I could just ask them like, "Can I use your music?" And they were like, "Yeah, of course, please do." Um, so that was really nice. So yeah, so games are kind of very very large. You have to decide how you're going to think about them. But I think. The first step, at least for me, was to say, like, what are the possibilities of what's in a game? What's a game? What has the aura of the game? What are these are part of these of these assemblages? What are the articulations of these games? So I think that's one of them is that game studies is still defining itself because it's a very young discipline, uh, which is quite nice because it gives you a lot of liberty and it's rich. Uh, but it's also kind of scary with the amount of stuff you can go through and, you know, tr- also try not to keep that idea of like, oh, we're doing something that's completely revolutionary, which is not entirely false, but also not entirely true either. So when you're talking about assemblages, that's the idea, if I'm not mistaken, there's the video game or the game itself, but then there's also the fan fiction, the packaging, the t-shirt you can buy, your kid's Angry Birds thing. And that's part of what that is? Yeah, that's that was my main argument, pretty much that, yes, you can take all of these things and they will all, they will all have part of it. They will show the game in a way or another. They will hold part of that aura. It's not the complete thing, of course, but if you could have everything, then you create the whole assemblage, which is, you know, 
impossible, but still. So move, moving away from maybe more of the abstract and into the actual sort of day-to-day practice of doing this type of history, what, what has that been like? And what is it like working in the history of video games sort of day-to-day? So for me, um, I kind of decided to create this podcast, like I said earlier, because I wanted it to keep some of the audiovisual aspect of video games. I felt it was only necessary to kind of do that. Not doing that, I felt, was kind of a disservice to the medium itself. So it was interesting because I ended up interviewing a lot of people. I think I have 19 interviews, which are roughly an hour and a half each or something, um, which I still have to transcribe, which is one of the realities of these projects is that I graduated saying, like, I'm going to do it. And then I was like, I do not have time to do this. This is way too much work. Um, And they're life story interviews, uh, typically. So I'm starting at the very basics of like, so like, when were you born? Who are you? How did video games kind of first creep up into your life type of thing? It's something I use also in my presentations, for instance, I talk about like first video games and all the first memories I have of those. It's something that's very interesting about doing that type of history is that people who want to talk about video games are incredibly passionate about it. They really like them. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying what? to... I know. <laughs> I'm trying to make a career out of this. Um, so it's it's interesting, but you also got to be careful where it's not just kind of nostalgia, pretty much, that you're building. Um, and even in the preservation of games, it's, it's one of the things you have to, to, to kind of fight against, trying not to just preserve, like, you know, Super Mario 3, which is great and necessary and very impactful game. But also, like, this random MechWarrior game might have had an incredible impact on the history of video games, but because it's not talked about, it's just kind of relegated to, you know, the dustbin of histories, I guess. So kind of going against the great game history, doing just a more regular history, kind of playing on the idea of great men history. I really like that idea, and I want to trademark that. Like, I want to use that. I really, really want to use that. But yeah, so so doing doing that was very interesting. Of course, putting everything in the public made it also that it, I'm exposed myself to a lot of criticism. I actually haven't gotten any. Like my entire research is online on the website deadplay.net. Please visit it. Um, there's a Facebook page, whatever. Um, you can all like it and go through it. I try to be active on it, but sometimes it gets pretty hard. So it's it's very interesting because some of the some of the things I say, like for instance, when I was talking about like these sonic fan fictions, which are you know gross and problematic, I am talking about the fact that you know as part of these assemblages that pornography is part of it and will have some of it or at least will show us how people interacted or interpreted these games and thought about these games um and even if it is completely like out there and wrong in some instances not all of course i'd say in most instances even it's it still has something of value there is something there and i don't think that just because it's problematic you should just like you know throw it away but it leads to sometimes having to be very careful with how I'm arguing some of these things and what I'm saying about them because, you know, they are problematic. I'm dealing sometimes with problematic stuff like the JFK game. That's highly problematic. There's one about the Columbine shooting too, where you're actually playing the shooters. That is so wrong. Uh, But it's also very interesting in a weird kind of way. But yeah, so so it's, it's one of these kind of interesting things of trying to do history in a very public way is that sometimes you got to be careful about what you're putting out there, about what you're saying about things, how you're thinking about things. But I think that it also brings up interesting discussions and, and sometimes making mistakes is the best way to fix them, right? So it, it, it was it was challenging. It's also trying to keep myself out of that and just getting too excited because, you know, some of the people I interviewed were my friends, people I grew up with, some people I actually know their background and all of this, which was interesting because I could bring up some things that maybe were more interesting and more useful, uh, but I also have to think about myself and just not putting myself too much into it either. Um, so yeah. 
I also find the idea of, like you're saying, like the fan fiction and things like that, or even the problematic games, like the combine shooting, things like that. It's by discussing them, you're not necessarily approving of them, right? It's just, this is the story of this game. Mm-hmm. And it's going to continue to take all these different shapes and all these different forms, but that is its story, just like any other form of history where you can discuss like an event or a person and you can choose to only highlight the positive things and ignore the realities of the history. So I think that's a really important parallel to be drawing between this new version or this new kind of history or historical research, this young, not new, but young kind of vein of study and more traditional historical practices. I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and, and also kind of to, to build on that and comment a little bit on that, it's also important to m- mention that these games were not created as AAA games. Like, mm. they were fan-made games that just some random people decided that they would make on their own time. Um, so they, it's not like they had a huge outreach, and I think most gamers, at least in my opinion, don't even know that these games exist. Because mm. they were in some of these, like, dark places on the internet. But you usually only find them if you're interested in, or know someone that knows they exist type of thing. Mm-hmm. So has to be you know very clear that it's not it's not the the the, the mainstream of video games mm-hmm. at all like the mainstream of video games is highly problematic in so many ways the industry itself um you know depiction of lgbt characters and just of treatment of the people <laughs> in right. the industry itself like gamer um what was it gamer game workers unite right now like trying to unionize game um developers and producers and coders and all those people it, it has a lot of issues to use like games like the combine one or the gfk one as kind of representative of the evils of video games mm-hmm. is also highly problematic because you're taking the worst examples and then they're saying like here video games are problematic it's it's kind of disingenuous at mm-hmm. that point. You're looking for stuff. Using those examples as like just demonizing the the medium more generally is problematic. It's not useful. It's more it's more complicated than that. And I mean, isn't that just like what all historians kind of say? Well, it started earlier and it's more complicated than that. It's like <laughs> two favorite things of historians to say. Right. Well, this has been very interesting. Well, thank you again for coming and joining us today, Danny. It was a pleasure. Thanks very much. Notice History is a No History Podcast. We are produced by Emily Cuggy and myself, Robin Mullins. Hey, you're not me. I may be on mat leave, but I still exist. This week's guest was Danny Gay-Belanger, with audio mixing by Megan Lundrigan. For more information about the topics we covered today, check out our blog at nohistory.ca slash podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at podcast at nohistory.ca or follow us on social media at notice If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.